Okay, so tell me about this new club. Well, dude, it is like... It's the coolest new thing, seriously. Really? What is it? Essential oils. Oh, no. <laughs> Not you too. Oh, don't be like that, James. Here, essence of peppermint. Rub it on your skin. Fine. What is it supposed to do? Hold on. Let me find another guide. Ah, here. Essence of peppermint. Pain relief, digestive support, and breath freshener. And how does rubbing that on my skin help with any of this? Just be patient. Be patient. Well, do you feel anything yet? I feel swindled. That's <laughs> big medicine talking, Jim. I know it's not you. You've been fooled into thinking that you have to buy some crazy chemical in order to get better. But it's just not true. This is a crazy chemical. No, it's not. What else do we have here? Frankincense? Myrrh? What are you, Jesus Christ? Come on, James. Be careful with those. Uh, nettles, citrus, wood? Essence of wood? But it helps with the... No, just no. I am taking all of these. James! No, I won't let you get fooled into this nonsense. Not with pickles watching. Oh, come on, James. Just give them back. No! My essential oils! No! I hear Lustig fell in love with the green. Oh. And I'm not talking about seasickness. Oh. I'm oh. talking about cash. Oh. -hoo. Cold, hard cash. And he wanted more of it. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> Our Patreon account. <laughs> I saw that coming a mile away. <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. I've had way too much caffeine. Oh. <laughs> so this will be good. Yeah, same. <laughs> uh, we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Samuel Thompson and Victor Lustig. Oh boy, I've been lusting for some lusting. <laughs> well, then let's hurry up and get down to the history lab. Yes! Again, one the best salesman in all of France, the other the best salesman in all of alternative medicine, Victor Lustig, the Moses of Thieves, and Samuel Thompson, the father of alternative medicine, a pair of controversial confidence cranks known to all history as tactical geniuses on the battlefield of sales. In the war of truth and lies, only one can win final victory. Oh god, I'm having an anxiety attack. Ugh. Yeah, anxiety attacks are not the same as caffeine, just so you know. Oh, why do I feel oh. so bad? You gotta see a doctor, dude. I'm trying, I'm trying. But they're backed up till August. Well, not August. They're backed up till October now. Jesus. Mm. Where are you, in Canada? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's where my girlfriend is. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we better just get on with it. I can get my mind off of this. Yeah. Oh, Let's try and hurry up before you collapse. Jesus oh. Christ. So, <clears throat> computer, 
bring up Victor Lustig and Samuel Thompson. Ah, there they are. So, James, what is Victor Lustig best known for? Victor Lustig is best known for selling the Eiffel Tower twice, <laughs> which is three times more than I've done. What? Because um, I bought the Eiffel Tower. Oh, did you? <laughs> well, we should do a recording from there sometime. Long story. <laughs> yeah. um, so, hey, what did he look like? Well, uh, he looks like a man you could trust. A man you could love. Mm. A man you could follow into battle. And a man who could lead you to the gates of Valhalla. Holy shit! <laughs> what makes him look so powerful? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just <laughs> something in the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So, uh, tell me, you had Samuel Thompson. What okay. did he look like? Uh, well, first, you have to ask me what he's best known for. <laughs> you were like the dictator of the show. That's okay. right, yes. yes. Uh, more like the dick of the show. <laughs> <laughs> King of comedy over oh, here! All right, what is... <laughs> Samuel Thompson is best known for being the father of alternative medicine. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now you can ask me what he looked like. <sighs> What does he look like, Aaron? He is not a pretty man. (laughs) His hairline is directly on top of his head, framing his face like a hairy mane. He has a nose you could sled off of, and most pictures of him have have him holding some plants, awkwardly. (laughs) Like you just walked on in on him rolling a joint or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sounds like an interesting guy. Yeah, so hey, well, let's get started then on breaking these guys down. So, how about you tell us... Victor Lustig's early life story. Let's jump into it. Okay. Like a big pool of beauty. And history. Yes. Big pool of history. Victor Lustig was born in 1890 in what was then Austria-Hungary. That's not a real country. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know Australia was so hungry. He couldn't pick between Austria or Hungary, so he just picked both. Right on the border. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wouldn't stay here for long. As a young man, Lustig began working with ocean liners that sailed between France and the United States. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, uh, here Lustig fell in love with the green. Oh. And I'm not talking about seasickness. Oh, oh. I'm talking about cash. Oh, Cold, hard cash. And he wanted more of it. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> Our Patreon account. <laughs> I saw that coming a mile away. <laughs> so, besides being rich, uh, what did he do after he fell in love with... Well, He's not rich at he's this not point. He's not rich, okay. Uh, but that's soon to change. Oh! So Lustig started scamming the people on these various ocean cruisers. And also in New York and France, where the, the ship went between. Uh, his favorite scam involved a money-making machine. Oh. A Romanian money-making machine. Oh, I've I've been with a few of in my life. <laughs> Yeah, wasn't that your prostitute name? Uh, when you were a, a stripper? Different times, man. Different okay. times. You'll have to tell me more about that later. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, back to Lustig's money-making machine. Yeah. This machine was basically like a modern copier of money. Ah! If you put a $100 bill in the machine, the machine would copy it. Unfortunately, though, this was the early 1900s. Uh-huh. Things moved slow back then. Uh, except influenza, that oh, moved pretty fast. <laughs> but anyway, this machine worked slowly. Oh. It took about six hours to copy a single $100 bill. Wow. But that didn't stop clients from buying the machine. After all, time is money, and money means more vodka. Yay! <laughs> uh, Lustig sold several of these machines for an absurd amount of money, usually like 
over thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> which was back then. Who knows how much that'd be now? After buying the machine, the client would, of course, immediately turn it on. Over the next 12 hours, the machine would spit out two perfect, crisp $100 bills. Wow. But here's the thing. These were actually real dollar bills that Lustig had planted within the machine. Oh, that's so sneaky. Sneaky. After the 12 hours needed to produce, produce these bills, the machine would only emit blank sheets of paper. The client would then realize that they were scammed, but 12 hours was more than enough time for Lustig to get far enough away. That is quite the scheme. Yeah, and he used this all throughout his life. Really? Yep. That's amazing. So, uh, what happens next? Well, World War One happens next, <laughs> <laughs> and more on this later. Well, great. That gives us an opportunity to go over into Samuel Thompson's early life. And do you want to take a break? You look like... Nope, I'm good. Uh, I know I look right. like I'm about to vomit, but I'm fine. <laughs> Just don't do it on me, whatever. Okay, I'll make sure to do it on you. Uh, anyway, so Samuel Thompson. Thompson was born in Alstead, New Hampshire, into a farming family. More farmers. Yep, I know. More for Can't get away from the farmers, man. No. The family lived deep in the wilderness and were fairly successful in agriculture, so Thomas had a fairly comfortable childhood. His family belonged to the Unitarian Church, but they weren't known for being too terribly pious. Not that they were bad or anything, but they were just more of the middle-of-the-road types than wildly faithful. Yeah. Okay, real quick. Yes. I once went to a Unitarian Church. And what was that like? Well, it was really interesting, but the, the best thing about it is the the podium that the pastor stood behind wasn't normal podium it was just a giant rock what with grass growing on it <laughs> yeah. why Be i don't know nature and stuff man anyway <laughs> that's that's a takeaway oh wow well okay now we know something about the unitarians they rock <laughs> so anyway when he was young thompson displayed a serious interest in plant life he spent whatever time he had not working on the farm plants, exploring the wilderness and examining various wild plants, and what have you, learning all he could by way of observation and testing. When he was a boy, he would often chew, ingest, or apply to his skin the things he found outside. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, just anything he found outside? Uh, mostly just plants. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, not anything. Uh, roadkill. Uh, yeah. Apply to my skin. Did they have roadkill back then? I don't feel like they did. I mean, how <laughs> you're do you... driving the wagon too fast. <laughs> <laughs> On one of his adventures, he befriended an old widow who was fairly well known as an herbal healer. Ooh, a witch. Yeah. So working together with this witchy woman, Thomas uh, Thompson, I should say, increased his knowledge of herbalism and natural healing. Mm. At one point, he reports that he discovered a plant known as Lobelia, which he says became one of his most used remedies in later, his later life. And it will come up again in this Lobelia? Mm. Lobelia. Okay. Yeah. So however, his kid, Tom, uh, Thompson would trick other boys into eating it which would cause them to vomit. Yep. Oh. <laughs> and Thompson would have a hearty laugh at their expense. Ah, And what's yes. funny is he recorded it in his own personal diary, like, <laughs> I, as I, a boy. Yeah, he did it regularly. I tricked these boys into barfing. Isn't, aren't I so funny? My God. Maybe you ate this recently, because you look like you're about to barf. Yes. Uh, actually, I had a hamburger with, with uh, this stuff. Extra lobelia on uh, it, Extra please. lobelia, please. I would like to vomit all of this out. Yeah, that's enough about vomit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but when he was about 16, Thompson began searching for a career pathway that involved herbalism and healing, uh, and he sought to study under a local herbalist doctor. 
but his parents were not convinced he was educated enough to do so. <laughs> yeah, you okay. can't read, so you probably. Um, but anyway, you so just eat weird plants. <laughs> well, isn't that what an herbalist does anyway? I mean, come on. Yeah. So anyway, besides, uh, the harvest is when they needed him the most. It was only for one more season. Looks like he's going nowhere. No. Mm. So he accepts that he's probably going to stay a laborer his whole life and spends the next three years working on a farm. Uh, or rather, his family's farm. Without another thought about herbalism. Okay. But one day, he's out chopping wood, and his axe accidentally slips from his hand and wounds his ankle. Oh, jeez. The wound would not heal, and his condition got worse. And back in those days, such an injury could kill you. Yeah. And Thompson got worse and worse. There was talk of amputation, but nothing was done, and Thompson continued to sink into worse and worse health. So he's on the path to death. Is he going to die, like, right here? That's it? Nope. (laughs) End of the podcast episode. That's it. Only the early life for Thompson. But anyway, so he was inspired to treat the wound himself with comfrey root and turpentine plaster. I don't know what that that means. I have no idea what those are. Uh, Crazily enough, it worked! Yeah, and he recovered in a few weeks. After this, Thompson was left in charge of the farm while his father took a trip to Vermont for something or other, I don't know. Uh, But while his dad was gone, Mom got sick with the measles. Oh. Yeah, and actually died horribly oh. due to something called galloping consumption. Oh my god, is that when horses eat you? Uh, no. It's oh. just a symptom of tuberculosis that causes the sufferer to lose weight extremely rapidly. Also, they think they're horses, so they gallop around. No, they don't. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, after his mom died, Thompson found that he himself was also sick with the measles. Uh-oh. Yeah. But Thompson doesn't let something like that hold him down. Good. He went about preparing dozens of natural remedies to help himself beat the illness. And he did. Nice. Yeah. So a year later, Thompson got married to a woman named Susanna, and the two had a child together. However, Susanna got extremely sick after the birth of this child. So Thompson brought in several regular doctors, uh, but they couldn't do anything. So Samuel hired... Samuel? Yeah, Samuel. (laughs) Why did I want to call him Samson? (laughs) Thompson, that's it. So Samuel hired two herbalists to treat his wife. They did, and she was healed within a day. Wow. Thompson and Susanna then continued to have a happy life together and had seven more children. Yeah. Sounds great. He's a prolific father. I don't see a problem yet. (laughs) No, not yet. But... You know what? I think I think I need to take a breath or a breath a break so I can go breathe into a paper bag for a few minutes. You need that. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Uh, too much caffeine. Mm-hmm. And we are back to we talk about dead people. And I want to hear more about this guy who apparently sold the Eiffel Tower twice. Hey, Aaron. Yeah, James. How does a pirate respond when you ask them if they want their beers filled to the top? Oh, this is gonna be terrible, isn't it? They say, "I full." We agreed no more puns, you fucking asshole. But wait, I've got more. How does a two-year-old <laughs> tell you that you, that he's not hungry anymore? Oh, he fuck. says. I fall. What the fuck? How does a baby horse begin its oath in court? Uh, I full do soundly swear. God damn it! What would I say if you dealt me a terrible hand of cards? Oh god! I full. I said what no would I- puns. God damn it! Let's talk about the Eiffel Tower, James. Yes. So. After World War II, the city... World War II? Oh, World War II. You mean World War One? Uh, too, many, <laughs> too many world wars. Or not enough. Oh. After World Great War One. Check report Fox News. <laughs> After World War One. After World War One, the city of Paris was going through some interesting times. Ah, isn't Paris always going through mm, interesting times? That's true. 
Uh, the city itself was booming, but the uh. Eiffel Tower was falling into disrepair. Hmm. The city did not have enough money to keep the tower maintained. That's Even finding the funds to paint the damn thing was impossible to find. Wait, they paint the Eiffel Tower? I guess so. Uh, what color? Gray? Black? <laughs> what color is the Eiffel Tower? What's the most boring paint you have? Beige. <laughs> I'll take it off, but it needs to cover 70,000 tons of steel. Oh my god. Okay. Now, for a bit of background history, the Eiffel Tower was built in 1889 for the 1889 World's Fair in Paris. But here's the thing. It was never intended to be a permanent addition to the city. Huh. People thought the tower was kind of ugly, did not match the other famous monuments of Paris, and didn't really have any purpose. Wow. Which is... Kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the tower was only put up with the understanding that it would be torn down later after the fair. Wow. But no surprise, it never was. And decades later, it obviously became a huge tourist landmark. That's so weird. Yeah. But as for now, in the 1920s, the thing is ugly and falling apart, and everybody expects it to be torn down any day now. Oh. So this gives Victor Lusting an idea. Why not sell the tower to metal scrappers? <sighs> Great idea. Right? Yeah. The problem with this, though, is that Lustig does not own the tower. God does. What? The French government what? is just the steward of it. What? Um. <laughs> like, legitimately? I don't know. Does God have a deed to the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> no, no. We'll have to talk to him about this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Someday. So, Lustig creates a new identity for himself, that of a wealthy and honest businessman. He has a forger create a fake government stationery for him and then invites six wealthy French scrap metal dealers to join him for a meeting at the prestigious Hotel de Crillon, one of the nicest and oldest hotels in Paris. All six men come to the meeting. During the meeting, Lustig introduced himself as a deputy director general of the Ministry of Posts and Telegraphs. Oh! Yes. Ministry of Posts and Telegraphs. Yes. So I they deal with all so. the posts, like... Facebook posts. Facebook posts and, you know, fence tie your, posts. Tie your horse to the post, mm, yeah. Yep. Uh, he, had, he had some of these men here today... Uh, I can't read. <laughs> Man, I'm just reading you're through not, this so fast. You're dude. not reading. You're not... This is all ad-lib. We don't have a script, James. Come right. on. <laughs> I'm reading off my frontal lobe. <laughs> Uh, so he summoned them there because... Because they had reputations of being good and honest business businessmen. At least this is what he told them. Because, uh, flattery, what a thing! <laughs> hey listeners, use more flattery! Actually, you should. <laughs> because uh, I could use some compliments right now. <laughs> Our egos are so hollow. Uh, anyway, Lustig then went to tell the men that the French government intended to sell the Eiffel Tower for scrap metal because they did not have the funds for the upkeep anymore. However, due to the feared public outcry against such an action, I guess a lot of people like the tower. Oh, so lots of people hate it, lots of people like it. Yes. Okay. Uh, due to this public outcry, the tower's dismemberment must be kept a secret. Ooh. But Lustig did not stop here. He went the extra mile to win these guys over. He drove the men in a rented limousine to the Eiffel Tower and gave them an inspection tour of the tower. Wow. Which is crazy, because, I mean, obviously he doesn't own the thing, and he's just marching these guys around, showing them the tower, like, yeah. I guess look like you belong, you know? Right, I guess so. Mm. Now, as this whole meeting and tour is going on, Lustig is secretly evaluating which one of the men is the most gullible, or seems to be. <laughs> he decides on this one guy uh, named Andre... Andre... Poison. I think uh, po Poisson. Poisson. Croissant. Uh, Andre. Poisson. Andre. Andre. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> now, poor Andre was new to the big city. Aww. He was insecure about being in Paris and felt like a little fish in a big pond full of giant man-eating man sharks. Yeah. <laughs> but he thought... But he thought to himself that this deal could put him on top to make him the goldfish king that ruled the French sharks. Okay. 
<laughs> Terrible analogy. So after the meeting, Andre excitedly returned home to tell his wife about the promising opportunity. His wife was less gullible, though. Mm. She wanted to know why this whole deal was so secret, why everything had to be done so quickly, and who this mysterious government official was. Yeah. Which are, like, really basic good questions. Yeah. <laughs> how did Andre not think of any of these? I, I don't know. How old was he? Three? Three? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he was older. I don't know. Uh, Andre returned to Lustig and told him all of his wife's concerns. Which is just a ridiculously stupid idea. If you Ugh. think that the man might be conning you, don't go to him and tell you why it is you think he's a liar. Why? Why? Because then he's obviously going to realize that his whole scam is falling apart, so and he's come up with things to counter. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. But, so Andre tells him, and uh, listeners, don't be like Andre, which is just the moral of this podcast episode. <laughs> don't be like Andre. <laughs> Uh, so Lustig immediately thinks of something to answer Andre's concerns. He decides to confess to Andre, but he doesn't tell the truth. Instead, Lustig confesses that he was an underpaid government employee who didn't make who didn't make enough money to support his lavish lifestyle, oh, which is ridiculous. Wow! Andre should have made him a liar after hearing the words "underpaid government employee." Huh? Which, yeah, it's a joke. Oh, because they're all overpaid. <laughs> we just lost our entire government demographic. <laughs> Trump's like, turn these buffoons off. Oh, God, he's going to come after us on Twitter. Uh, if we're lucky, we're just going to disappear. Anyway, so uh, instead, Andre came to the conclusion that Lustig must be telling the truth and asking for a bribe. Oh, my God. This guy's an idiot. Yeah. Mm. So uh, Andre's concerns are put to rest about the whole thing. He simply gives Lustig a hefty bribe to remain silent about the transaction <laughs> and then proceeds to buy the Eiffel Tower from Lustig. Oh, my God. And, wow, Lustig really yeah. did pick the stupidest right. guy. <laughs> uh, so Lustig made a ton of money. Yeah. And I couldn't find how much... But it was the price for the Eiffel Tower as well as a giant bribe. So, three dollars. Yes. <laughs> At least. <laughs> or six trillion Chinese dollars. <laughs> uh, then, Lustig escaped to Vienna as a millionaire, so he did make quite a bit. That's cool. Uh, Andre, <laughs> instead of reporting the crime to the press or to the police, did nothing. He well, was what are you, you going to do? <laughs> I, I know, he was too humiliated to speak out, and this gave Lustig an idea. Why not do the whole thing again? Exactly as he had done before. Well, why not? <laughs> so he does. And uh, there are several accounts of him doing this maybe several times. We don't really know. Uh, we're not too sure because, I mean, a lot of this info was drawn from him during an interrogation by police later in life. Ah. Much later in life. Oh. Uh, during one of these Eiffel Tower scams, though, one of the potential buyers told the police about the whole thing, and Ludwig's cover was born. Ludwig? Ludwig. Lustig. <laughs> Lustig. 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 Uh, too many German L names. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Lustig managed to escape the police, though, and he went to where only depraved robbers and thieves go. My bet. What? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> he went to America. Oh! So, in this land of opportunity, Lustig continued his scams. He sells another Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yeah, isn't I got one three in, out back. <laughs> I mean, isn't there one in Las Vegas now? Or like a there fake? kind of is. It's like I a think fake. So, yeah. I don't know. Any, I've only been to Las Vegas once. And yeah, I was like I've never been. Ten. <laughs> we stayed at Circus Circus before they tore it down. That place was a dump. <laughs> so, he's in America. Uh, yeah, he's in America. And he, in 1928, he met with a businessman in Massachusetts at this businessman's home. Ah. Instead of scamming the man, though, Lustig was feeling lazy, I guess. 
And he just sneaked into the man's bedroom and stole $16,000 from his dresser. (laughs) Okay, it's 1928. You're keeping $16,000 in your dresser? Yeah. This guy must have been, like, loaded. Well, I mean, okay, Great Depression. Kind of makes sense you keep the money instead of in the bank. Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. $16,000 in your dresser, though. You might want to disperse the funds. Yeah, sew them into the curtains. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, after that, Lustig went to Texas, where he continued his money box scheme. And at one point, tricked a Texan sheriff into buying the thing. Oh, so he's he's selling the money making machine. Yes, again. Okay, uh, the great. Romanian money making machine, which I mentioned and, earlier. And he sold it to a Texan sheriff. Yeah. This seems like a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> right. He yeah. Uh, this caught the attention of the feds because the sheriff was like, oh, "I've been duped." <laughs> uh, I can't do a Texan. <laughs> I've been duped. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> By golly. <laughs> so the feds got into this, and they decided to put Lustig behind bars. Good. But in order to do this, they first had to catch him. Important. And this was <laughs> uh, and this was something much harder to do. Uh, Lustig was everywhere and nowhere. That is impossible. He, sp- <laughs> he spoke several languages, reportedly had 47 different aliases. Whoa. 47? Yeah. And also wow. may have carried a suitcase with him filled with costumes and other clothes he could change into at any time. Costumes? That's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, so for a time, Lustig ended up in Chicago. That's too bad. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, decided to scam Al Capone. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just a terrible idea. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but he does it anyway. Oh, wow. So the balls uh, on this guy. I know. Uh, he approached Al Capone and told him he could make Capone a lot of money you wow. see he was an investor oh and he knew how to make money quick for investors so all he needed was fifty thousand dollars oh that's it mm-hmm. huh? <laughs> just fifty thousand dollars and al capone actually agreed to this and gave lustig the money whoa then lustig left oh but you see Lustig knew that if anybody could find him, it would be Capone's goons. Yeah, I would think so. Right. Uh, So two months later, Lustig returned to Capone and told him that the investment had fallen through. Oh! Furious, Capone had his men seize Lustig and told them to throw him off a bridge. Well, Well, I mean, he kind of deserved it, let's be honest. Right. (laughs) But, then to everybody's surprise... Lustig pulled out a bag with the $50,000 in it and gave it back to Capone. Uh, I, for some reason, I feel like that wouldn't work, but did it? I don't it know. did. Uh, Capone was apparently completely without words because this was the first time he had ever dealt with an honest man. <laughs> oh. Because <laughs> he returned the money. He was like, yeah. yeah, the investment failed, but here's your money. Wow. So after handing the money back over, Lustig began to lament that the investment had failed because he was just a poor man who was barely scraping by. Aww. Feeling sorry for the man, Capone gave him a gift of five thousand dollars wow which of course was the amount of money that lustig had been after this whole time oh uh, some people though think that lustig did this only to prove that he could outwit the fear al the feared al capone well that's actually wow because he had a lot of money and five thousand wouldn't be much to him yeah, so see that is really interesting yeah he just wanted to play a mind game of chess with al capone well that is super interesting because i was just reading this book uh-huh uh, called Influence by some guy named Dr. Caldini or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you do. You give, like you basically make people think they lost a huge amount of money. Oh, right. Or yeah, something like that. that yeah. And then they, uh, when you get what you're actually after, it's so much less of a problem because they don't actually care that much anymore. Hmm. Which super interesting. Wow. Well, that's what he did. So he did it to Al Capone. Wow. Yes. <laughs> now, that's... meanwhile, the feds are still trying to track down Lustig, but it's as if they were trying to catch a phantom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lustig continued to travel the country using scams and counterfeiting money. 
Will the feds catch him? Will Lustig be forced to answer for his crimes? Will the Eiffel Tower ever be avenged? Will Aaron ever admit his girlfriend is fake? Hey! Find out later when we return. Hey, she is real every- Oh, god damn it. And we are back. Do we talk about dead people? And when we left off, we were talking about... You know what you need to do? What? Uh, you need to pet a kitty. Pickles. I don't want... He looks like a dead cat right now. Yeah, Look at him. Is. Yeah, but it'll help you. It'll help your depression, which you call anxiety. I can't reach it. Damn it. You need to pet the kitty. No. <laughs> pet the kitty. It'll make you feel so much better. Shut the fuck Just up. Pet, that vo- pet that the voice kitty. Is, that's the shittiest voice I've ever heard. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> We're going to talk about Samuel Thompson. And in case you guys forgot, Samuel Thompson just pretty much spent his child playing with plants. Yeah, so yeah, he's got a... Got the pretty, I can't talk. Yeah. Everything's going pretty well for him, right? Yeah, so, uh, things are good. Wife, just children, eight kids. Farm. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, after seeing alternative medicine's uses, Samuel Thompson developed his own system of medicine known as... Get this! The Thompsonian system! <laughs> and he began practicing in New Hampshire. Yeah. The core of the system was based on eliminating toxins from the body by methods such as steam baths. At the time, physicians were eliminating toxins in another way, by using a toxin to induce vomiting to oh. get rid of toxins. <laughs> yeah. Okay, effective, so, I mean. Thomas Thompson saw all this going on um, and decided that they were the quacks. Mm. He is quoted as saying that, Much of what today that is called medicine is actually deadly poison, and were people to know what is offered them of this kind, they would absolutely refuse ever to receive it as medicine. Which, uh, that is the most disjointed sentence I've ever heard in my life. Basically, he's saying they're selling poison as medicine. Well, I mean, okay, he's got somewhat of a point, because what is this, the... the It's 1800s. 1800s? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's not wrong. No. No. So he wrote a book called The New Guide to Health, or Botanic Family Physician, Hmm. in which he prescribed all sorts of homemade medicine. In this book, he claimed that a basic stock of certain roots and vegetables could literally cure any disease a person might face. Wow. Yeah. The book largely took off because it was directly and unashamedly opposed to conventional medicine at the time. Take that establishment. Yeah, take that. <laughs> Doctors were still doing things like bloodletting and whatnot, so when this new system came out, people like naturally jumped on board. Which, uh, we should get back into bloodletting. Uh, uh, leeches. I'm uh, all about leeches. You are wrong, sir. You are wrong. It's <laughs> debatable. Uh, so even uh, regular physicians came out and lauded Thompson's system for daring to reform the medicinal practices that were common at the time. Hmm. Yeah, so however, on the other side of things, there were also many licensed physicians who really began to hate Thompson. And they got an opportunity to expose him as a quack when one of his patients died. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, due to an excessive use of that plant he discovered as a child, Lobelia. Uh, the, yeah. Yeah. the lawsuit brought against him was headed up by the victim's father. Hmm. However, the case failed when the prosecution produced no evidence for Thompson's negligence, and uh, Thompson was acquitted. Okay, good. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I don't well, know if I'm cheering for this guy yet. <laughs> the damage was done. Hmm. The public began to feel much more leery of this miraculous new med- medicinal system. Who uh, and states began passing laws that banned these practices. And these laws were called black laws, and I'm not going to tell you why. It's pretty awful. Oh, uh, this wait. Inf- yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So they called them black laws because this is a race thing. It's a race thing. Uh, yeah, God damn they it. called them black laws because they were passed on the basis that black people were using like voodoo and shit to uh, heal. So right. they're like African. Yeah, so things. that's why they call them black laws. Mm, I know American history. It's a eighteen hundreds. Everybody, <laughs> yeah, different times. Those good old days, yeah. man. Back <laughs> when America was great. Back when America was so much better, you know. Um, but anyway, so this anyway these these laws passed and it infuriated Thompson, uh, and he pretty much rightfully saw it as a direct attack on his career and reputation, which it kind of was. Yeah. Um, he went to court again partially because some doctor somewhere was using a system uh, where it was banned, and partially because this doctor was modifying the system so that it became more dangerous and telling people that it was all Thompson's idea. Oh, jeez. Right. Uh, and to make matters worse, actually, all sorts of people all over the states were starting to call themselves Thompsons, literally hmm. stating their first name and then replacing their last name with Thompson and claiming to be related to the medicine man. Wow. So they were taking his system, modifying it, and it was causing deaths, and now Thompson's starting to get a bad name. But his <laughs> system is still very popular. Uh, and it had actually done a pretty good job of upsetting the medical community and getting them out of their old-fashioned, entrenched views about how medicine should be done. So that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, right? I guess, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, but that's kind of where he is. He's dealing with all these other quacks. This is a quack dealing with other quacks and quackery. Real, yeah, real quick on this whole quack, quack thing. I was sorry. wondering. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. what, how, where does the word quack come from? I don't know. Do you know? Oh, no. Well, I'm assuming know. a feathery bird. Yeah, well, quack. Quack, 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 quack. Quack, 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 quack. Google is super slow. Uh, yeah. It comes from the characteristic harsh sound made by a duck. Uh, that's <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> I, I don't know. It doesn't right, say. Whatever. I'm not going to Google it anymore. Nah. It's a bullshit. <laughs> it's a bullshit word. All right, listeners, give us some flattery and tell us where quack comes from. Yeah, tell us in the comments and give us a five-star review or whatever. Five-star, four-star, whatever. <laughs> give us the best one and give us money. <laughs> five stars out of 100 stars. Yes. Mm, mm. That's what I got in kindergarten. They give you a star every day, and I got five out of a hundred. So, jeez, I know. Mm. Wow. But hey, let's take a break, and then we'll okay. come back to Vi- we'll come back and we'll uh... Victor Lustig. Yeah, we'll come back and we'll talk about some deaths. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are at the kitty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are back to uh, so we talk about dead people. And when we left off, we were talking about Thompson's early life. And now let's talk about Lustig's end and death. Well, it's going to take a little while because oh. this man still has some years in him. Okay. Yes. So when we last left Lustig, he was wandering America taking advantage of gullible investors. But the feds were on the hunt and slowly closing in. Oh no! In 1935, the feds got an anonymous phone call from the wife of one of Lustig's co-conspirators. Oh. The feds learned that Lustig was in New York City and they raced to the city. Good. I mean, yeah, they're gonna get him, right? Uh, yes, they do. So, Lustig was walking along the streets of New York one day when suddenly federal agents surrounded him with guns drawn. Freeze, sucker! An actual quote. (laughs) I don't know. They searched Lustig and searched both him and the briefcase he was carrying. The suitcase was full of clothes and other normal things, but it also held a nondescript key. Oh, intrigue. Lustig refused to tell the agents what the key was for, but after intense searching, the agents found where the key went. His heart. (laughs) 
chastity belt. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know how they did this. I like to think they just... It was a bunch of guys in black suits trying the key on every keyhole in Manhattan. <laughs> and then finally finding where it fit and shouting Eureka or something. <laughs> but anyway, the key opened a locker in the Times Square subway station. Oh. How they found that, I don't know. Inside the locker, though, was $51,000 in counterfeit bills. That's a lot of counterfeit bills. Uh-huh. Yeah. Lustig was taken to the inescapable Federal Detention Center in see, Manhattan. when you say inescapable, yes. I get the sense that they're wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. There's a, there was a bit of foreshadowing in that word. Okay. Uh, so, our story does not end here. Oh. The day before his trial, September 1st, which, yeah. 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 I can't wait. Yes. Yeah, the day before yes. trial, September right, 1st. Right, right, right. September 1st. Yeah, my, my heart is pounding too much caffeine. Uh, 1935, Lustig escaped the day before his trial. He did this by... Oh, and you won't believe this. Okay. He made a rope from his bed sheet, <laughs> managed to cut through the prison bars. Oh my god! And then proceeded to swing out of the building on a bed sheet rope. That is so badass. It just it gets better. Oh, As concerned onlookers began to point at the dangling man, Lustig reportedly calmly pulled out a cloth and began cleaning what? the windows. They pre- bought it, pretending to be a window cleaner. <laughs> He then dropped to the ground, landed on his feet, and bowed to the crowd that had gathered. Yay! They were all applauding. Yeah. Wow. But it gets better. Listen to this. When the guards rushed into his empty cell, they found that he had left them a note. Oh! Lustig had written a quote from the book Les Mis, and it said this. He allowed himself to be led in a promise. Jean Valjean had his promise. Even to a convict, especially to a convict. It may give the con- convict confidence and guide him on the right path. Law was not ba- made by God, and man can be wrong. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he just left that on his pillow. I have no idea what that means, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> well, it's... I mean, we could both agree that this man is far more intelligent than you and I will ever be. Oh, yeah. I mean, I sure. would never think to tie bed sheets together and pretend to be a window cleaner. That's no. just brilliance yes. right there. Uh, now, Lustig then managed to evade authorities for 28 days. And then 28 <laughs> days later. Uh, yes, the F- <laughs> zombies? Yep. Mm. <laughs> uh, the F- FBI didn't find him until they tracked him down to Pittsburgh. Oh, too bad. Mm-hmm. Two agents watched as Lustig entered a car waiting for him and immediately gave chase in their own car. Oh! So yeah, now it's a fucking car sweet. chase. <laughs> the chase went on. <laughs> There's the man, get him! Wooga! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Is that a whale? No, know. that was just me. Okay. <laughs> the chase went on for like nine city blocks. Wow. Uh, Lustig's driver refused to stop, so the feds had to crash into the car in order to stop Lustig. Wow. The feds then ran over to Lustig's crashed car with weapons drawn and threw open the car's door. And apparently, Lustig just calmly raised his hands and said, Well, boys, here I am. Wow, literally <laughs> as cool as a cucumber. Yeah. yeah. He just turned into a cucumber right there. No, okay, so the, I didn't... Yeah, crunch. <laughs> One of the agents who was later guarding his cell told him, You are by far the smoothest criminal I've ever encountered. Did, did he? <laughs> yeah, or something along those lines. Wow. <laughs> it was an FBI agent. Wow, yeah. so now we know where the song Smooth Criminal came from. I guess mm. so. Yeah. Uh, so Lustig was convicted for like a million crimes, <laughs> and he was sent to Alcatraz. Oh, damn. Uh, and here he was even, as a joke, blamed for starting the Chicago Fire of 1871, oh. I wow. guess. Wow. 
Yeah, so Lustig spent 12 years here in prison before contracting pneumonia and dying in 1947. Aww. Now, as you can imagine, Lustig kind of has a huge legacy. Uh, but here's two things I found most interesting. Okay. First of all, the man Victor Lustig may actually never have existed. What? Uh, that is, his name might just have been his most used alias. So the man did exist, oh. but that that man Lustig... Uh, I can't. He might not actually have been Victor Lustig. That might have not been his real name. Wow. So I guess people have searched biographies from his hometown in Austria and have found nothing about his claimed family. There you go. Mm. So we have no idea who this man really was and where he was originally from. Because all we have is what he told us when he was uh, being interrogated by the agents. Wow. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So he's kind of a myth and of his own right. Secondly, Lustig created his own Ten Commandments for Con Men. Nice. And the list is still circulated today. Here are the rules. Number one, be a patient listener. It is this, not fast talking, that gets a con man his coup. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Number two, never look bored. Oh, that's a real problem for me. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Number three, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. (gasps) That's... I mean, I gotta use that at family dinners. Mm. Uh, Number four, let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. Wow. Hmm. Uh, Number five... Hint at sex talk, but don't follow it up unless the other person shows a strong interest. I think that's just generally good advice. Uh, Don't follow up unless the other person shows interest ever. Yeah. (laughs) Which you really need to learn. Yeah. Uh, Number six, never discuss illness unless some special concern is shown. Okay. Number seven, never pry into a person's personal circumstances. They'll tell you all eventually. (laughs) That's really really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Number eight, never boast. Just let your importance be importance be quietly obvious. How about that? Yeah. Wow. Number nine, never be untidy. Okay. And number ten, never get drunk. Oh, well, yeah. you had me until that one. Yeah, same here. jeez. <laughs> oh, well. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's his legacy. I'm wow. Pretty interesting guy. That is interesting. Well, uh, hey, let's move on to... Oh, wait, how did he, how did he die again? Pneumonia in Alcatraz. Oh. Well, speaking of death, let's move on to Samuel Thompson's end in death. Okay. Okay. So in 1843, Samuel Thompson started having trouble sleeping, Mm. and over the course of a few weeks, saw his health fail more and more. Hmm. He attempted all kinds of cures to help himself feel better, and some of his symptoms were relieved. In particular, he managed to take his digestive system from barely functional to regular old functional again. Wow. Yeah. His heart would often fail him. Our heart. Oh, God. His health. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah, he died multiple times. (laughs) His health would often fail him, uh, and he would often pull himself out of near death. But at a certain point, a failed business venture caused him some serious stress. Mm. He lost a lot of money, Mm. and at this point, his heart failed due to anxiety. He died. So I'm about to die, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, Uh, You should have, like, uh, used an E-meter. Yeah. (laughs) Find out how clear he was. Anyway, so the lasting effect of Thompson's career was fairly important, and mm-hmm. like I said before, it created competition within official med- medicinal practices. Uh, and as we know, competition breeds innovation. Yeah. Uh, people still practice Thompsonian medicine today, which, you know, still has some good aspects. But the important thing it did was create that essential upset that kicked medicine into gear. Right. Sounds so, good to me. Now, he's still controversial. A lot of people think of him as a quack, okay. um, which, you know, he kind of is in a lot of ways. To some, um, yes, to some degree. He perhaps. wasn't like a snake oil salesman where he like knew it was quackery. Uh, I really, he really did believe it worked. Right. And okay. he saw it work for him multiple times. Yeah. Um, so for what that's worth. But nowadays when you talk about Thompsonian medicine and whatnot, you'll usually get laughed out of the room. It's kind mm. of, yeah. Interesting. Well, but that's about that. So, uh, hmm. 
Two interesting guys. I think Lustig was much more interesting than Samuel Thompson. Let's oh, be they were both pretty good, though. Well, one freaking sold the Eiffel Tower twice mm, and then true. got in a car chase with the FBI or whatever. Yeah. Well, the FBI didn't exist then, did and it? And then swung out of a, yes, it did. a <laughs> prison window. Yes, that's true. Mm. Uh, Samuel Thompson did not do that. No. Nope. <laughs> Lobelia. So, yeah. Lobelia is all he has. Speaking of, I need to go upstairs and take some salvia. So, uh... <laughs> So how about we had? I a feel like just mercy killing you out. Actually, really? Yeah, you could. Uh, I would say thank you. Like I would, my dying breath. I would be like, Are you ready? Thank you. Yep. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> so tell me about the history of Brazil, James. The country of Brazil, you'll now know as the largest country in South America. But it was not always this way. You see, Aaron, the country of Brazil started off, actually, as a small farming colony in southern Portugal. Oh! Yes. Now, in the year 1643, Jesus was born. Now, as we all know, Jesus started the Crusades. Oh. Now, the Crusades began in 1433. Okay, so like way before... Way before Brazil. Okay. Yes. Now... But you said Jesus was born in the 1600s, and then he started... Who, who majored in history here? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So, Jesus started the Crusade, and the goal of the Crusades was to reestablish Vladimir Lenin as the head matriarch of Saudi Arabia. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> well, it's complicated. Okay, so there's a matriarchy in Saudi Arabia. Yes, and okay. Vladimir Lenin is uh, the head of it. Okay. Now, then Brazil popped up in South America because of... Uh, it's a long reason. No, it's but infighting it in- or something? It involves the Muppets and al- astrology. Astrology? Astrology. Oh. Astrology and the Muppets. Okay. And now we have a country in South America. It's in a rainforest. It's got beautiful people and surfers. And a <laughs> lot of the, corruption. How is the government composed? Of pirates and leprosy. <laughs> Yes, so these leopard wait, pirates... Wait, 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 hold, hold on, James. We just got an email from the Brazilian government. Hold on to this. Oh, shit. Are they going to support us? Give uh, us money? Yes, they said they're going to pledge us $1 million on Patreon. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. As long as we never talk about Brazil again. Can do. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything about uh, anything else in there? Well, uh, they said... We don't usually negotiate with terrorists, but we really like your show. Uh, okay, uh, hmm. so that's that's interesting. But that's humbling. But my thing is, uh, do we want to be sold out? Do we want to be censored by the Brazilian government? Hell no. Are we going to just hand over our right to talk about a country's history for the filthy lucre of a corrupt governmental system? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, Brazil. We won't take your money on Patreon. We believe in freedom. Yes, And freedom. the freedom to say whatever we want. Yes, to tell the truth about Brazil and the fact that it was started by Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, with that said, I think it's time to bring our show to an end for today. Yeah, it's about that time. Mm-hmm. Feel free to send all your hate mail to We Talk About Dead People at Par... <laughs> we Talk About Dead People Podcast at gmail.com. We will and flattery. Don't forget, and the flattery. flattery. Don't forget the flattery. Extra flattery. 
We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash WeTalkAboutDeadPeople. Join the Brazilians. Even for as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to get us to stop talking about Brazil, uh, helps us tremendously. With all that being said, we'll close the show and let the sweet sounds of Brazil play you out.